Well, I didn't die. <laughs> Yay! For those of you who don't know, I've been sick uh, for a long time. I've actually been sick since the beginning of July. And because I'm a man who's really good at ignoring things, I uh, did not submit to the truth that I was sick until Labor Day. So I spent two months just out there lying to myself and everybody else, uh, thinking it was perfectly natural to take three naps a day. Um, so then I, I went to the doctor, and they couldn't figure out what it was, and just spent a couple of weeks on antibiotics and went back, and still wasn't healthy. Uh, I, I had, I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but I kind of want to do this all at once rather than 70 different times, because I know y'all love me. Um, and so I, I went back to the doctor, got bad blood tests, had bad blood, basically have lazy kidneys and funky blood. And um, he kept testing me. Nothing got better. He couldn't figure out what it was. Put me in the hospital last weekend. And um, to boil it all down, I'm going to give you the exact words that the Tulsa, most experienced Tulsa kidney expert, Dr. Udupa, told me. We don't know what it is, but it's not too bad. So there you go. Uh, I hope that was comforting to you as it was to me. And, uh, you know, I've kind of gotten over that, you know, that initial shock. This is my first ever hospital stay. And, uh, and I did experience, you know, that first two days especially. Um, yeah, I was questioning my mortality. You know, you're just like, here it is. I'll probably come out of the hospital. Who knows? We'll see. And, uh, and there were some surprising things that kind of came out of those hours of, of lying there being disturbed every two hours so that you can't rest. Um, and one of the, there, there were two big surprises. One of the surprises was this. I truly, and I don't, I'm not saying this to like inflate my ego or your opinion of me, I really wasn't scared of death. I really wasn't. It seems like an adventure. Uh, I, I believe with all my heart that, that um, Jesus of Nazareth got up from that grave and poked a hole in the backside of the grave for us so that it is nothing more than a transport to the next dimension and until we wait until the resurrection when we come back and get these bodies and they won't be sick anymore. And I, I was surprised by how non-scared I was by that. I really was. I was sad. I was sad for my my wife, she doesn't seem to be done with me yet, and I was sad uh, for my kids because uh, I think grand- grandparents are great things to have, but I wasn't scared. Um, and the second thing that really surprised me, didn't really surprise me too much, but it was very, very comforting, was I was sure y'all were going to be fine. I, I was absolutely confident that River Oaks would do nothing uh, but be blessed by my absence. I, I really do. And I hope you thought that. Well, I mean, it was almost like a funny kind of conversation going on in my mind about, you know, is, is this going to, you know, set the church back? Is, is the church going to fall apart? And I started laughing, thinking, surely nobody thinks that. I mean, if we know anything else about the Lord, if we have learned nothing else about him or from the Bible, we should know this. God specializes in using our weaknesses, our mistakes, 
and even our sins for his own beautiful purposes. God specializes in using our weaknesses, our sicknesses, our mistakes, and even our most heinous sins for his own beautiful redemptive purposes. That is uh, the the lesson I took away from my week in the hospital. It also happens to be the lesson that we're going to learn today from Acts chapter 4. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. So, a little bit's gone on since last we saw the disciples. They found a man who was uh, crippled. Um, The Lord healed him through them. And that causes a, a stir and a ruckus, and they're brought before the church council. And they just said, hey, in the name of Jesus, he was healed in the name of Jesus. You know Jesus, that guy you crucified, him. He was resurrected from the dead, he healed him. And that threw the council off, and they said, well, okay, but don't tell anybody. And they said, no, we're going to tell people. And so then they were like, okay, and they released him. And we will take up reading there in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the, what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth have set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. God specializes. He specializes in using our weakness, our sins, our failures, our mistakes. He specializes in using our plots and our, our struggles and our desires to throw him off. He specializes in using those very things to accomplish his beautiful redemptive will. It's amazing when you look at it. And the first thing I want you to see is that we really want to throw him off. <laughs> That's what we're like. We have hard hearts. Humanity has hard hearts, and we want to be rid of him. And uh, what happens here? We have, we have uh, the disciples coming back together, and, and they pray this prayer from, from Acts 2. They see what the council has done. 
the council, these are the religious leaders, and, and they're the ones who should be pointing people to the Messiah, but they don't like the Messiah. They don't want Jesus to be the Messiah. They're afraid that this, a revolt is going to be stirred up, and, and Rome is going to come in and crush it. And so they want to quell all this talk about Jesus, and, uh, and, and, and they, they plot to do that. And they say, you, you can't tell anybody. You can't preach this word. You can't go around healing people. That's not acceptable. And, and, and they get together that night, and they pray, and they pray from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's throw off his chains? That's, that is our birthright. This sense of rebellion, this desire to throw off the chains of God. We don't want to do or live under anyone. It is the core desire. As soon as your child starts to in any way reveal that he has a mind of his own, that, that she's not just an automaton or a puppet, but that she actually has a, a, a mind and a personality. The second that happens, they begin throwing off the chains. Me do it. I don't want to do it that way. And we, we plot in vain and we rage against God and his rules. We rage against them. saw a t-shirt yesterday. I don't have to live by any laws of man. Not, that's great. You just try that out and see how the laws of Bixby embrace that. You know, uh, there's, you see, saw a shirt not too long ago. You know, only God can judge me. Yes, he can. Glad you're aware of that fact. I don't think it means what you think it means. Um, you know, we just, we want to live by our own standards. And we, we don't like this idea that, that we're being watched. That there's someone outside looking in on us who sees us and who is actually holding us responsible. I mean, there's more responsible, more accountable ways of saying the same thing. I think Cormac McCarthy, as far as an author goes, is probably the most aware. He, he certainly throws off God, but he's mo- the most aware of any author that I know of like what that means. Of, of the, the life without law and what life without law means and, and life without meaning and, and chaos and what that means and how dark that truly is, that nothing has meaning. And uh, one of his, my favorite quotes of his is from The Road, um, there is no God and we are all his prophets. We're all here to tell the world that there's no God and we're all trying to make the laws for ourselves. We don't like it, and we don't like him, and we want to live our own way. That's, that's the, the basic core human desire. And then the psalmist in Psalm 2 goes on to say, He who sits in the heavens laughs. It's cute to him. It's funny. I don't think he's necessarily laughing in a mocking way, but he's laughing. He's laughing in a, isn't that cute sort of way. I uh, I went to a website 
studying for my sermons, I usually go to websites, and this one's called Terrible Parents or something like that. And it's basically, it's a picture of 120 kids having temper tantrums, and then you get the explanation for why, right? And so one is, uh, you see this kid just, and he, on the sidewalk behind him, you see these little black dots, right? And, and uh, the, the caption says, I'm a terrible parent because I didn't let him eat the goat poop, <laughs> You know, and there's, a, there's another one of a little girl in a princess outfit who's just face down, just screaming into the dirt. I called her by her real name and not Princess Elsa. You know, and, and my particular favorite one, this one had a hashtag, um, a picture of a family in the White House meeting the president and a child on the floor beating the ground. And it says, when you get to meet the president, thanks, Obama. <laughs> you see the president just kind of looking at her like, you know, I didn't touch this kid. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's cute. Like they, when these kids, they throw their little tantrums, and it's cute because they're not going anywhere, and they're not ever going to get their way. They don't even know what they want, but they know they don't want whatever it is that mom and dad are encouraging them to do. They just know what they don't want. And that's, that's us. We don't know what we want. I mean, we know that in some way we know that every good and perfect thing comes from the Lord, but we don't want him with it. We don't want him with it. And so we run. I asked my, my boys one time, and they said, did any, any of y'all ever run away? And, uh, and one of them said, yeah, I ran away. He said, I said, really, how'd that go? He goes, pretty good. You know, I packed a couple of books, and uh, I ran away, and I got, uh, I got to the church at the end of the neighborhood, and I was hungry, so I came back home, and I ate a couple of sandwiches, and then I, I don't know, I just forgot about it and did something else. <laughs> like, I don't want parents, I don't want parents telling me what to do, but I, I'd kind of like to have something to eat, so I'm going to go back and get it. That's kind of us, right? We don't, we don't want God telling us what to do, but we, we know we can't get away. We know we can't get away. We're like, uh, I don't know, some of you read this book, How to Stay Married, he talks in there, the author's wife commits adultery, and, and he says in that, at that point when he just first realizes that, he learns that lesson or truth, and he says he went to the church and he sat on the steps. He said, I'm not sh- I wasn't sure what I thought about God, but I sure didn't need him. And that's typically what happens, isn't it? I'm not sure what I think about him, but I, I need him to be real. And um, that never changes. That's why my, my advice to my kids sometimes is just, you're not going anywhere. You're not going to escape this, the, the, the loving grasp of God. You're not going to escape him. So you really need to quit trying and just relax. You're like the kid. I, I was walking out of Costco uh, this last week. I walk out of Costco at least once a week. And... Um, there was this little boy just going at it. I mean, screaming. He did not want to go into Costco. And he had a great parents, and his dad was just holding him under one arm, you know. And the kid's like, yeah! And, you know, dad's holding him like a loaf of bread. Like, you're not going anywhere, and we're going this way. And that's how it's going to be, you know. And she's like, well, I, I want to tell some people that sometimes. I just want to put my arms around him going, you're not going anywhere. You'd be better off if you stopped fighting. You'd be happier. 
That's the hard-heartedness of humans. And what does God do with that hard-heartedness? He does judo. He does judo. He doesn't do karate. Karate, hand and foot, striking, not like that. Whatever you do, don't do this and think it's karate because it is not. Judo is when you use somebody's own momentum against them, I hear. So they come running at you, and instead of hitting them to stop them, you grab them by the collar, and you just use their own momentum and throw them. And that's what God does with us. He uses our own momentum, our own weakness, our own sin, our own intentions. Even though our intentions are to throw him off, he uses those to accomplish his beautiful purposes. Look at verse 28. It's amazing. It is amazing. He said, they, they pray, they're praying to God, and they say, In this city we had Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And they were, they were raging and they were plotting to throw you off. And what did they do? They did whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They did exactly what you wanted them to do when, they, when you wanted them to do it. In their rebellion, in their anger, they did exactly what you had predestined to take place. They put Jesus to death for our salvation. That's the story of the whole Bible. The story of the whole Bible is God using our, our humans' sinful intentions to accomplish his purposes. I mean, you can see it throughout. Just, I'm just going to take a few stories. If you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph's brothers hated him. He had 11 brothers. They hated him, mainly because he kept telling them that he was better than them. And brothers don't like that. And he was his father's favorite, and brothers don't like that either. And so they hated him so much that they, they sold him into slavery. He was gone. They lied to their dad. He's dead. Told him he was dead. And God's looking in heaven going, yeah, perfect, thank you. I needed to get him to Egypt. That's good. You did exactly what I needed you to do. I'm going to, yeah, we're going to throw him into slavery. We're going to have him lied to and lied about and falsely accused so I can get him into prison. And then once he's in prison, I'm going to have him meet members of the royal uh, cabinet. And they're going to get him out of prison. And this child that y'all hated so much that you wanted to kill him, he's going to save all your lives. Let's do that. That's exactly what I needed you to have him do. And then four or five hundred years later, Pharaoh, Satan stimulates Pharaoh and, and puts into his mind, let's destroy all the Israelites. Let's destroy every male child. And, and God's up in heaven going, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. Pharaoh's going to destroy every child, every male. Tell you what, I'm going to use Pharaoh's daughter to save one of these little children and have her bring him up in the house of Pharaoh. Because that's going to be a good way to get him equipped. He's going to have access to the best libraries in the world because I need somebody to write the book of Genesis. And uh, yeah, I'll use him to destroy all of Egypt. Let's do that. I'm going to do exactly what you don't want to do using your intentions to do the opposite. We have David. 
And Satan wants to tempt and destroy David. He says, I, I know what I'm, I'm going to do. I'm going to have him get seduced by his own lustful desires. And he's going to commit adultery. And God says, yeah. Okay, David's going to commit adultery. You know, you know what? Up until now, David's kind of been perfect. And I, need, I need to teach people grace. I need to teach people that it's by grace they're going to be saved. And that's, that's what really matters is grace. So let's, yeah, let's have David commit adultery. That's a good way. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to take this woman that he committed adultery with, I'm going to give her another son, and we're going to make him the greatest king in the history of the world. Let's do that. The son of the adulteress. I'm going to call him loved, beloved by God. Yeah, Adonijah, Solomon. I'm going to have him build a temple. So everybody knows it's not by living perfectly, but it's by grace that you're, you're, you're beautified. Let me do exactly what I wanted to do through David doing the opposite of what I wanted him to do. And then he sends his son. And, and, and this is the example they give us right here in the text. He sends his own son, and his own son gathers a very few followers and, and comes into Israel, and, and they capture him, and they put him on a cross, and they kill him. And in the process, Satan comes to him and pours out all of his, his poison, and he pierces his side with a spear, and, and he kills him, and in his victory, he doesn't notice that Jesus has grabbed the spear and is pulling it further and further into him so that he can get his hands ultimately around Satan and destroy him once and for all, and by going into the grave, he's going to explode the grave from the inside so that we don't have to be afraid of it anymore, and he's going to destroy death, and he's going to destroy sin, and he's going to fulfill the law, and all those things are going to be removed from us by Satan and Pilate and Herod doing exactly what God predestined for them to do because they hated him so much. That's the beauty of the gospel. God using humans' evil intentions to accomplish the salvation of the world, life, and hope. And that's the, that's the message of salvation. It's not only what God does internationally and globally and historically, but it's, it's in you. Like if you want this message of the gospel, if you want Jesus' work on the cross where he pays for our sin, if you want that applied to you, you don't get it by striving for, for, for perfection. You get it by embracing your sin, by saying, yeah, I did it. This is who I am. That was me throwing off your law, throwing off your reign, throwing off your purposes. I did it. And it's at that point of lowness and weakness that we receive His grace. We receive His salvation, not by doing everything right, but by receiving His grace when we embrace and admit that we've done everything wrong. That we've just lied about who we are. To ourselves and to everybody else. And when we stop lying and admit that we are broken and we have messed it up, that's when we receive grace. That's God's judo. 
as God using our weakness, our mistakes, even our sins for his beautiful purposes. Wouldn't it be great if you believed that? That'd be cool, wouldn't it? If you really believed that God is going to use your worst mistakes, your worst weaknesses, he's going to use your worst sins for his own glory, wouldn't it be It would be just wonderful if we believed that, if we lived like that. If instead of being afraid that we got something wrong, I used to be a college minister and the students were just always so afraid that they had gotten the wrong major or gone to the wrong school or were dating the wrong person or were just, you know, joined the wrong fraternity. And and I, I love just looking at them going, okay, let's just assume you did. Let's assume you did. And let's assume that God is big enough to take that mistake and make something beautiful out of it. Would that change everything for you? Instead of worry, instead of fear, instead of regret, to live by faith, would that change things for you? What if, what if we live so that God were, were bigger than life itself? Wouldn't that be freeing? I, uh, I, I knew a man in Mississippi named Frank Wood. He's gone on to be with the Lord now, but uh, Frank was something special. He really was. For a lot of reasons, I've copied him in some things, the way he raised his boy. He had four boys, too, and I copied some of the ways he raised them. And uh, when he was in his 50s, about my age, uh, he was way much older than me. He was in, uh, it was, was like in the 70s. He went in and had to have heart surgery. And this one, heart surgery was a 50-50 proposition. Like, you know, now they just kind of put in zippers and no big deal. Go in, sew you up, zip you back up for them to go back in. Uh, but, but back then, man, it was, it was 50-50. And the surgeon came in the night before. And he said, Mr. Wood, I want you to know the, you know, the dangers of what we're going to do. This is the, and he kind of went through the process. I don't like that conversation, by the way. I want doctors just to go, I'm going to do some voodoo, and you're going to be better. I'm like, Great. But anyway, he took him through all the, you know, cutting and the splitting and the rerouting and everything. And, and then he says, and Mr. Wood, if, if everything goes right, you'll be going home real soon. And Mr. Wood, oh, Frank. Frank said, I need you to have a seat, doctor. See, you need to understand something. But 27 years ago, I gave my soul to the Lord, and he's taking care of me. I want you to do your best tomorrow. Don't get the wrong idea. But whether you do everything right or whether you make just a complete botch of it, I'm going home real soon. Wouldn't it be great to live with that kind of confidence? I'm going home. There's nothing anybody or any spirit can do to prevent that. What if if we live that way in the face of sin? What if we live that way about our, thinking that way about our children's sins? Let's just talk about that for a second. It's easier to talk about their sins than ours. We worry a lot more about them. Uh, Kids, don't take this the wrong way. I'm not encouraging you to sin. Okay, That's why we take all of you out of here. Um, 
But what if you do? What, what happens when you do? What's the worst thing? Let's just be honest. What is the worst thing, you parents of teenagers, you're just so terrified is going to happen? You're so afraid of an illegitimate pregnancy, aren't you? My kids, I, I would just ruin everything. I'm not encouraging it. But I bet everybody in this room knows somebody who either got pregnant out of wedlock or was the child of somebody who got pregnant out of wedlock. I bet everybody in here knows somebody like that. Well, I know for a fact you do. Some of you have adopted those children. Are you prepared to look at those children that have been adopted and say, you're the worst thing that could have possibly happened? No. Of course not. Are you prepared to look at these adults, some of the, the, the... the single most important person in my life was born out of wedlock. Are you prepared to look at her and go, you are the hugest mistake ever? No. Why? Because God is big enough to redeem mistakes. And he makes them beautiful. What if, what if you actually believed that? What if you actually believed that? Let's pray that we would. Father, we've we've confessed that we just don't think you have our best interest in mind. Even when we think about and and just adore and love the, the very products of our mistakes and the products of other people's mistakes. And we see how beautifully you've redeemed them. Father, give us the faith to believe that at our very, very worst, we're doing what your hand has predestined that we would do. And that you're going to turn our weakness and our mistakes and our sins You're going to use them for your perfect, holy will. Amen.